Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. This podcast is going to um, look at three Carol Ann Duffy poems, uh, Fraud and Nostalgia and Litany. And we're going to look at the theme of greed in all of those three poems. Now, the poem Fraud has a lot of um, historical contextual detail that you need to um, know so that you can understand the poem. Um, in 1991, um, a man called Robert Maxwell was discovered uh, dead in the sea. Um, and he was this media tycoon who had a huge media empire. Um, he did own the uh, Daily Mirror for a time as well. Um, and uh just after his death, it was revealed that he had basically embezzled a huge amount of money from the Mirror's Mirror Group uh, pension fund. Um, so there was £440 million missing. Um, and so basically Duffy writes this poem in reaction to his death. Um, which was just such a, a huge item of news and plus the pension scandal that ensued. Um, she writes this poem called Fraud about this fraud. Um, it is very sp specifically about Robert Maxwell. But as we dig deeper in the poem, I think we can see that Duffy is making a point really about our society as a whole, um, which is uh, similar to what she does in Nostalgia and Litany as well. So the poem fraud really goes through Robert Maxwell's story. Um, you know, he was uh, he changed his name. Um, he was actually Jewish, and um, he was he had to escape the the Nazi occupation of Czechoslovakia, and he had to join the army in France, um, and then he basically ended up um, being evacuated to the UK in 1940, and then he joined the British Army, for which he he got um, various acknowledgements and recognition for his bravery. But what Duffy does is she doesn't really give us all that information. She just says, um, in this dramatic monologue, firstly, I changed my name. So the poem opens with him admitting his duplicity, uh, admitting that he's deceiving other people. Um, and then it goes through um, various things that he was doing. Private M, uh, M presumably standing for Maxwell. I was my own poem pseudonym. Um, and the idea is that he's his own pen name. Uh, he actually worked in publishing. Um, so Duffy, again, is alluding to um, his, his life. But it's also a metaphor for how... Maxwell created his own identity. You know, he was basically transformed himself from being this penniless Jew from Eastern Europe and he transformed himself into this media tycoon, um, someone who had money, status and power uh, in a country that was not his own. So she uses the metaphor of um, I was my own poem um, and it's a theme that runs throughout the poem of Maxwell using words and language to manipulate others and to um, gain power. Um, what's interesting is that there is a constant focus in the poem on Maxwell's greed and it's greed for power as well as greed for money. Um, what was my aim to change from a bum to a billionaire? 
So um, the greed of this character is is evident in the very first stanza. Um, and from the from the very start of the poem, uh, Duffy is not depicting Maxwell as an appealing character at all. Um, perhaps some d- dramatic monologues can seem like a confessional poem. Sometimes um, the, the reader is engaged by the honesty and authenticity of the form of a dramatic monologue. But actually, um, this dramatic monologue is an admission of fraud from the very beginning. Um, so I don't think we do identify or sympathise with the character of Maxwell at all. Um, in um, the end of the first stanza, it says, mine was a scam involving pensions, papers, politicians in and out of their pram. Um, and the sort of plosive alliteration there, it's almost like, you know, you're spitting the words out, the contempt that um, the poet Duffy feels towards this character is really obvious in the sort of tone. And the final line of the first stanza, and I was to blame. The rest of the poem details various things that um, Maxwell did, you know, his global connections, Zurich, Jerusalem are both mentioned, um, and also his relationship with what's known as the establishment, that the people in Britain um, who really have most of the money and the power, um, the, the, the sort of remnant of the dukes and duchesses and um, the House of Lords and all these kind of people. And it says all the the creme de la creme considered me scum. You know, he was never accepted by the establishment. Um, But what he did was he still uh, gained a huge amount of power despite that. Um, In stanza three, poverty's dumb, take it from me, Sonny Jim. And using that English colloquialism shows he's using English, the mother tongue, against the, the people he wants to dupe. Um, and then in the third stanza, it talks about how it's not just Maxwell who is corrupt here. Um, as he continues to talk about his what he did and says, um, who gives a damn when the keys to a second home are pressed in his palm? Uh, and I think that's really interesting that the establishment are presented as corruptible as well, even though Maxwell um, is seen as culpable for his scam. Um, it seems that the papers and the politicians that are referred to in stanza one are equally as corrupt um, because they could be bribed with a second home. They could be bribed with extra money. Maxwell was, was famous for having a really flamboyant lifestyle with a helicopter um, and a yacht. But I think Duffy is reminding us that actually the British establishment have a very similar um, wealthy lifestyle um, that seems so far removed from the majority of the population so the final stanza says so read my lips money power fame Um, and those three things are obviously the character Maxwell's desires but I think again we can extend this to wider society because it isn't just Maxwell who wants those things it is the papers and the politicians surely they're also out for money power and fame as well and through actually through the media itself a lot of people ordinary people are desiring money power and fame because those are the things that we're told we should seek and I think Duffy is criticizing the greed that is at the heart of our culture 
for money and acquisitions, um, but also for power. I think the way that we all want our five, five minutes of fame, we all want to, um, and even when this was written, this is the early 1990s, this is before, you know, social media, this is really before the internet's taken off. Um, so, but even in Duffy's culture then, the paparazzi were, you know, a massive thing. And, um, you know, there was these obsessions with celebrities like Princess Diana or um, Michael Jackson, Madonna, and the way that people would criticise those celebrities, but also seek to emulate them. So Duffy's really speaking into a culture, a celebrity culture at this point, even though this is pre-social media. Um, now, Maxwell's end is referred to here. So he was found in the sea um, and um, he sort of asked this rhetorical question. Had I been asked um, if I was a sham, if I'd done immeasurable harm, I could have replied with a dream. The water that night was calm. Um, and it's as if uh, Duffy ends the poem with this image of his suicide um, as seen as a, as a rightful ending to his life. With my enormous mouth in bubbles and blood and phlegm, I gargled my name. So this idea that, you know, uh, he took the initiative to commit suicide. He's the one gargling um, his enormous mouth, something that he was often embroiled in controversy for. Um, there's a kind of fitting poetic justice by the end of the poem um, when, when he dies. But the piety motivated by greed um, is still there. And that's something that Duffy explores in the poem Nostalgia. Again, nostalgia has a very specific historical context that we need to understand that the time of, um, you know, the, the, the wars in France where uh, the early mercenaries referred to in line one um, are the people who came down from the Alps and were paid um, they were usually Swiss to, you know, fight for the French army or um, fight for these kind of um, Renaissance and uh, early 18th century kind of battles. And um, the Alpine uh, mercenaries who did this um, did so out of desire for money. Um, and essentially mercenary is a word we use today to mean somebody who does something just for the money in a kind of cold heartless way um, and in the poem it's those early mercenaries it made them ill you know being mercenary made them ill um, as well as the title nostalgia being referred here leaving the mountains leaving the high fine air to go down down and it's like there's a moral descent as well as a physical descent as they come down from the mountain Duffy says what they got line break here was money um, and there's a sense of the anticlimax here. Um, they left this beautiful environment just for money. And the line continues, dull, crude coins clenched in the teeth. So there's this sense of, you know, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the moral cost of them leaving um, their families and their community um, purely for greed. And this, the fact they're clenched in the teeth, again, suggests some kind of um, reluctance. You know, when you've got to do something, you grit your teeth to get through it. A sense of the mercenaries having to do these things that were, you know, fighting in, in a war, um, killing others, um, all for just this, this gold. And then it talks about the effect of the dislocation from their community and their home. 
um, having a very physical effect on them. Strange food, the wrong taste, stones in the belly and the wrong sounds, the wrong smells. And the repetition of wrong shows a dislocation from where they really belong. Says they had an ache here, doctor. They pined, wept, grown men. It was killing them. And there's a sense of which the nostalgia was obviously diagnosed by doctors as being a physical ailment when actually Duffy's saying it's a moral ailment. The reason they've got this intense longing for home is because they've done wrong. And um, and back then it was some kind of more innocent time for them before they'd um, made this morally bad decision to um, fight for, for sheer money. And the image of them weeping and pining is, is an image of pathos. You know, we do feel sympathy for the mercenaries. Um, and then in the second stanza, it was giving a name. It's more about nostalgia and how it hurt to hear the music of home. Um, a particular place where maybe you met a girl or searched for a yellow ball in long grass, found it just as your mother called you in. And at this point, Duffy makes the poem far more universal. It goes beyond the very specific historical context of those Swiss mercenaries. We can all relate to, you know, meeting a girl, searching for a ball in the grass, being called in by your mother. These are all things that, you know, most people would go through. And so we begin to identify with the mercenaries. Um, you know, obviously we wouldn't have been in that direct situation ourselves um, and their memories and the sense of dislocation from childhood as adults. And then finally, as we go into the third stanza, it says the word was out. Some would never fall in love had they not heard of love. So the priest stood at the stile with his head in his hands, crying at the workings of memory through the colour of leaves. Now, what's really interesting in this third stanza is you've got a religious figure of the community, the priest, um, in this kind of rural environment up at the mountains, and he similarly is crying at the workings of memory. So it's not just the soldiers, the mercenaries who are pining and weeping. It's also the priest who has never left his community for the sake of greed. You know, he's taken a vow of poverty. But he still grieves as well. And at this point, I think Duffy's making a bigger point that actually we all have this problem of nostalgia because we all have this dislocation of the past. And no matter how much we want to pursue money and fame and power and success, all the things that society says we should pursue, there's part of us that always wants what we cannot have. We always want to try and get our youth back. Um, but that's the one thing that money can't buy. Um, we Perhaps we want love and genuine relationships. And again, that's something that it's impossible to buy. And so we have sort of drilled in back to us this, this, this greed for physical money and uh, tangible success. And yet actually what the human heart really desires is real relationship and um that innocence which perhaps we all identify with as being part of our childhood, a time when we were free of responsibility, um, a time when we look back with slightly idealised, rose-tinted spectacles. I think that's what the poem is really about. Um, similarly, the school teacher opened a book to the scent of her youth too late. And again, the school teacher, a morally upright kind of character, you know, she's not um, working a, a corrupt job for money. Um, but yet she still has nostalgia. So Duffy's talking really about the human condition here and how much um, we can get distracted from 
the things that are really important by pursuing greed. But actually, we all have the same problems at the root of it. Um, it talks about a soldier returning. It was spring when one returned with all his life in a sack on his back. So he's gone from, you know, earning all this this money to ha- now having nothing. And he returns with just a sack on his back to find the same street with the same sign on the inn, the same bell chime in the hour on the clock and everything changed. So the physical environment is the same, but everything's changed because he has changed. Um, and I think that's what's interesting is that there's still a dislocation even when he goes back because of the difference between childhood, adulthood, innocence, experience. Um, and perhaps the, the greed is part of that. Um, and he's maybe older and wiser now. Maybe he's he's learnt that greed is not something that he should be pursuing. But there's that sort of pathos and that sadness that he'll never get those years back again. And in a sense, his innocence once lost is lost forever. There's a similar theme of uh, childhood and adulthood and lost innocence in the poem Litany. Um, and Litany is obviously a religious term. Um, it's kind of used for a regularly repeated prayer in a kind of liturgical sense. Um, and what Duffy says in the start of the poem is that the soundtrack then was a litany. Um, but instead of it being um, a prayer that's being spoken or something religious, it is a list of items from a catalogue, candle wick, bedspread, three-piece suite, display cabinet. And immediately, um, Duffy is depicting this kind of 1960s middle-class group of women um, as being completely driven by consumerism. You know, their consumerism has replaced religion for them because their prayers are not religious prayers. Their prayers are, I want this on this page, I want that on that page and as they go through the catalogue um, they sort of ooh and ah over all these products and their lives are all about what one they can order next there's a kind of there's a there's a comedy in the poem in that the things that the women want are obviously things which to us now reading the poem seem really ordinary or out of date so in stanza one the word pyrex is sort of um, italicised and uh, end stopped as a kind of line on a uh, sentence on its own in the middle of a line. And the pauses either side with the caesura sort of show this kind of, ooh, pyrex, you know, as if it's some kind of fantastic new brand. But obviously for us, or for Duffy writing in the 1990s, it's really passe now. You know, pyrex, yeah, we've all got it. Nothing special about that. Similarly, in... Um, uh, stanza two it talks about the cellophane the polyester again these are kind of 1960s new kind of faddy materials which kind of you know um lost their charm pretty quickly so there's this sense in which the consumer culture of these women is a kind of there's an emptiness to it because the things that they really desire the things that are really important to them they're desperate to buy are things which are going to be really passe and out of fashion really quickly now Duffy kind of um, portrays the, this group of women in her lounge um, quite brutally. Um, they're not, um, they, they don't come across very well at all. If you have a look at um, language embarrassing them, the terrible marriages crackled. The lounge would seem to bristle with eyes hard as the bright stones in engagement rings. And there's a sense of the lounge being personified and judging you just like the women um 
they are full of um, hard eyes, hard as the bright stones and engagement rings. And again, it brings out um, the material things. So the stones in their engagement rings, rubies, diamonds, it's all about the money. It's all about the things they possess. And ostensibly, this is a gathering of friends, but we don't see any genuine friendship. What we see is a sense, a desire to keep up with one another, a competitive sort of spirit as they look through the catalogue and see who's going to buy what. And a sense of sharing gossip about other people. Um, it says sharp hands poised over biscuits as a word was spelled out. And this sense that Duffy picks up as a child of the forbidden words being words that aren't spoken, but they are spelled out. And Duffy once said, I come from a background where language is feared or suspected. Some words are spelt rather than spoken, which makes the world somehow safer. And um, stanza three talks about, you know, this this world where no one had cancer or sex or debts and certainly not leukemia, which no one could spell. The idea of the forbidden words being taboo, because these are things in the world that people don't like to talk about. They don't like to know that they exist and um, they disrupt the comfort that the women like um, and they're sort of forbidden and so, of course, the, the punchline of the poem, the twist in the poem is that Duffy as a child really um, sets the cat among the pigeons in this kind of polite coffee morning, um, talking about what a boy in the playground told her. Um, and she sort of deliberately puts those words out there um, in the brutal truth of what happened. Um, and it really shocks the women who you know for them this kind of authenticity is really alien to them it's as if the veneer that they've created of being respectable is very easily shattered and as soon as this word um, is spoken by Duffy then it says um, a thrilled malicious pause salted my tongue like an imminent storm then uproar and the sense of, um, you know, all of these women reacting in such a shock to this word, although they probably must have all known it anyway. The poem is about um, language and how, you know, Duffy wanted her language heard and she, she delights to jolt the women out of their complacency. But it's really important that we understand here that what Duffy's doing um, is talking as much about the emptiness of the greed of their culture as she is about talking about language and how she wants to develop her own individuality. She feels that this puritanical culture is ironic, the way that it's full of gossip and backstabbing. It isn't at all a genuinely religious culture. And again, that reference is the title of the poem. Um, throughout the poem, um, you have a number of lists and a lack of punctuation, so it kind of drones on a bit like the mass. But instead of being a kind and loving environment, it's an environment where imperfection is noted and judged. And that's why Duffy's um, sort of explosion with language um, is so frowned upon, because it's this kind of flash of uh, honesty and reality in a group of women who don't want to really accept that. 
in the second stanza, when it talks about the marriages being terrible and crackling like cellophane, you know, it really depicts the marriages as not durable. They are fake, you know, made of cellophane. Um, and it kind of um, represents how everyone wants this perfect image of their life. Everyone wants to their life to look like um, the pictures in the magazine or the catalogue. Um, but that's not that's not real. Um, and so these false appearances can't withstand the, the devastating delivery of this word of truth that Duffy brings. Um, and I think it's really, really powerful. There's that metaphor in stanza three about the butterfly stammering itself in my curious hands, which I think is a metaphor for her growing self-awareness. She's growing out of childhood into adulthood. She's becoming more and more aware of the world and how language works um, and more aware of seeing through these women and what these women are all about. She can see that they want to be respectable, they want to um, bring across this image of their lives as being perfect, but she's now able to start seeing through that veneer and in a sense she delights to up upset it because she knows that it's fake. The disappointment for her is that her mother is afraid of the damage of an unpleasant truth. And of course, she references in the last line, my mother's mute shame and the taste of soap. And there's this kind of artificial cleansing, you know, to, to wash a child's mouth out with soap, um, if they say a swear word, seems to really achieve anything. Um, and perhaps it's a comment on the 1960s, you know, respectable middle class uh, culture, which kind of fought against the new 1960s generation who were the younger generation wanting to disrupt that um, with a very new kind of morality. So we've seen really how um, Duffy talks about greed in a very specific sense in the case of Robert Maxwell in the poem Fraud um, and also in a specific way in the poem Nostalgia. But she shows that greed is a really universal problem that we deal with in all times and all cultures. Um, our society now is, is just as ridden with greed as it was then. And you've got three different historical contexts that you can discuss from the 1990s pension scandal of Robert Maxwell um, to the mercenary context in nostalgia to the 1960s middle class culture in litany and um, we can think about how Duffy writing into a, a Tory capitalist um, society is making this point that if we are ultimately motivated by greed um, we are not going to thrive and in in these poems all of the people who are driven by greed and ambition they all get their comeuppance the women have their um, nice coffee morning completely disrupted the mercenaries suffer with a very physical ailment um, and then obviously Maxwell meets his very um, tragic end uh, in the sea so I think all of these things are showing us that the path of greed leads to destruction. Um, we need to take a different path. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests. So if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.